Uh, but Genesis 2, verse 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let me go ahead and pray for our time this morning. Father in heaven, we come to this text in Genesis. We come to discuss the topic of work. God, we know that work, that this topic that we're about to dive into, that it is a complicated topic, that we love work, that we live without work. So God, would you just illuminate the scriptures? Would you, would your Holy Spirit be working to apply the truth of the gospel, to apply the truth of Jesus, Lord, because we we so desperately need it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, part of what it means for us to be created in the image of God, part of what that means is that we are made to work, that humanity was made to work, that God, he is a worker, he is a creator. And we have seen this This very obvious theme all throughout the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2 thus far. And if we are created in the image of God, then for us to work, for us to be workers, it is in our DNA. And yet, and yet work, it it so often feels like this necessary evil that we that we love it, that we hate it, that we that we can't live without it. It feels at least experientially for us like this, that it feels that that work was a result of the fall, that work was a result of sin entering the into the world. It feels like that, and yet, yet clearly it's not. Clearly work is not a result of the fall. That that clearly work, it was given to us here in Genesis 2 before the fall happens in Genesis 3. And yet, to state the obvious, truth be told, that we today, citizens here in 2019, that we do have a different relationship with work today than man did in our text. To state the obvious, we have a different relationship with work today than man did in our text. We feel frustrated by work. We feel overwhelmed by work. Work, it depletes us because it's under the curse of sin. It's under the curse of sin, as we see in Genesis, as we will see in in future weeks in Genesis 3.17. So as we come to this text, how does a text like this, how does a text like this help us in light of our complicated relationship with work today? How does this text help us work today? That's the question that we're asking. And, and what we see very obvious in our text, we see very obvious is that we were made to work. Yes, we are workers. It's part of being in the image of God that we are made to work. We see that clearly in our text, but we also see something else. We see that our work, it has limitations Our work has limitations. So we were made to work, yes, yes, of course. And yet we were made to work with limitations. And so what these verses do for us this morning is they give us two competing versions, visions rather, two competing visions or ways for us to approach work today. 
two competing ways for us to view the work that we do today. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what, what work can look like as stewardship, what work can look like as stewardship, and then we're going to look at what work looks like as exploitation. So work as stewardship and work as exploitation. Verses 15 and 16. This is what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. So after the Lord God, after he plants this garden in Eden, he takes man and he places him in the garden to work and keep it. And fundamentally, what is happening here is that man is being invited to cultivate something that ultimately belongs to God. That that is, God is entrusting the work of keeping the garden to man. Man is a steward. He's supervising and overseeing the garden under the purview of God's providence. providence. That, that man, he is taking care of something that isn't ultimately his. That's what it means to steward, to take care of something that ultimately isn't yours. But I would also contend that, that while that, that is true, that that is the definition of what it means to be a steward, one who is entrusted with something to care for it, that ultimately doesn't belong to them, while that is true, I think that we, we lose a little bit of the significance, a little bit of, of the weightiness, if we don't go deep enough with this definition of what a steward actually means. That we need to go a little deeper. We need to look at this context. You see that the garden in Eden, it's not just this, this pretty topiary garden with all these, 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 these you know, hedges that are trimmed to look like a maze. It's, it's not just this topiary garden. It's not these beautiful botanical gardens. The garden of Eden, it's this, this royal garden. It's this royal park. It is this royal garden filled with the presence of God. It is a sanctuary where God and man are together. So that it, since Eden is this royal garden, this sanctuary, man's work does include that of a gardener. Yes, he is to tend the ground, to keep the ground, to work the ground. Man is a gardener. But he's more. He's more than that, too. So uh, Desmond Alexander, he's a theologian of the, the Old Testament. He says this about our text. He says, Productive work is part of God's good purpose for man in creation. In Numbers chapter 3, the verbs of work and keep, they're used together of the work undertaken by the priests and Levites in the tabernacle. Thus, man's role is not only to be a gardener, but also a guardian of the galaxy. I, I, I added that because I know how much you all love it. Desmond did not say that. I did. Thus, man's role is not only to be a gardener. I knew you'd appreciate it. Man's role is not only to be a gardener, but also a guardian. As a priest, man is to maintain the sanctity of the garden. So we understand man's type of work to be priestly. This is, so this is what, what Desmond Alexander was talking about when he mentioned these, these verbs. Uh, a few books later, Numbers chapter 3, and stay with me. We're not going to get too lost in the weeds here, but this is important. So in Numbers chapter 3, the Lord, he is speaking to Moses, and he says this to Moses. 
the Lord speaking to Moses saying, bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron, the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting. And as they minister at the tabernacle, they shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of the meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. So the instruction that Moses here receives from the Lord is that he is to appoint the Levites to the service of priesthood. And it was the Levites who would, who would serve and minister in the tabernacle of the Lord. Their, their job was to maintain the sanctity of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, it was this, this portable tent. It was the place where God's very presence would dwell in the midst of his people. You see, even though, even though man blew it badly in Genesis 3, as God is delivering them from Egypt and taking them into the promised land, which we see in Joshua chapter 1, even though man blew it, and as the people are on their journey, God so badly wanted to dwell with his people that he gave them instruction for a portable tent called a tabernacle, that God's desire was still to move towards his people even after they sinned. So he gives them instruction for this this tabernacle or portable temple. So it was the Levites that were to maintain the sanctity of this. They were to guard the tabernacle from intruders. They they took special care of its contents. They, they, They worked it. They kept it. They guarded it. And this is how important... Our text is. This is how foundational the creation account is for us as we read through the progression of the scriptures and as we apply this concept of work today, that our text here is foundational because we see that the pattern of man working and keeping and guarding the garden, it's the blueprint for the work of the priests. It's the blueprint for the work of the priesthood. It, and it also, not only that, but it, it informs the way that we work today. That we, no matter how much we try, we shouldn't try, but no matter how much we, we want to escape the creation account or understanding or, or digging deep into it, sinking our teeth into it, it is so foundational for how we read the Bible. It is so foundational for how we read and apply the scriptures to us today. So all of this, all of this informs what it means for us to view our work through the lens of stewardship. All of this helps us to understand the role of stewardship in our work today, that we are invited to cultivate something that ultimately doesn't belong to us, belongs to God, that we are invited to work and to keep and to guard. And you know, we are invited to guard. We're invited to guard the things that are valuable. That's what we do when we guard things. We guard the things that are most valuable to us. We guard the things that are worth guarding. We guard the things that we treasure, that we hold closely to us. And this calling for us to work, this calling for us to keep, this calling for us to guard, it's a high calling because what's more valuable than the Imago Dei? What's more valuable than the image of God in people? 
What is more valuable than people created in the image of God? People inherently deserving of dignity, value, and respect because they're made in his image. So to land, land the plane a little bit, to, to tie those two things together, when we, when we work, when we keep, when we cultivate, or when we build or do whatever it is that we do, our goal, our goal, our aim is to maintain the sanctity of the Imago Dei. The aim of our work is to maintain the sanctity of, of image bearers, to guard them, to preserve them, to keep them. That God, he, he entrusts to us and he asks us to work in such a way that blesses humanity, that, that we would work in such a way that fellow image bearers, people, that they would be better off as a result of our work. That people would flourish as a result of our work. That, that the way that we would conduct ourselves in whatever it is that we do, that it would be attractive, that it would be magnetic, that it would be moths to a flame type of work. That we, when we work, that we would love image bearers to life. That's what it means for us to work. That we would love image bearers to life. So our calling to work, it is, it is a high calling. It is a noble thing for us to do. And that's what stewardship of our work means, that we would love, love image bearers to life. And now I know the question that you know, many of us are thinking, this is a question that I was thinking as I was preparing this week, is, well, you know, what kind of work... What kind of work are we talking about here, Heath? What kind of examples, what kind of work does this text have in mind? What kind of work examples do you have in mind, Heath? Do you mean staying home, you know, staying home with the kids? Do you mean working in human resources or taking classes at Ohio State? Do you mean working the register at Panera or Starbucks? Do you mean farming? Do you mean working as the COO somewhere? Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. I mean, all of those things and so many more things, as long as they're legal, obviously. But, but yes, like that is, that, is what, that is what the creation account is getting at here. That, that's how big the scope of work is for us. That is how big the scope is that, that, that shows us the work that we put our hands to. We can maintain the sanctity of fellow image bearers. And whatever we do, that's how big the scope is here for us. So we ask the question, well, what kind of work? And that's, that's a fair question for us to ask. That's a good question for us to ask. But I think a more helpful question, right, when we're trying to think through what type of work, a more helpful question for us to ask and to consider is, where are the image bearers? Where are they? Where are they present? Where do they live and obviously we know that the, the image of God fills the earth, that people fill the earth. So what I'm saying is that wherever there are image bearers, wherever there are people made in the image of God, this text tells us that we can do meaningful and productive work that is pleasing to God. I'm going to say that again. That wherever there are image bearers present, that we can do meaningful productive work that is pleasing to God. This is the, the scope of how, how wide it is for us. 
that wherever image bearers are present, the church, the church can work to love image bearers to life. How, how amazing is that? How amazing is that? And, you know, so once we've, uh, we've established what kind of work this text is talking about, what kind of work the creation account is talking about, now we've established that. Another question that we must ask ourselves is, will we? Will we love image bearers? Will we love image bearers? Said it another way, can you know the world and still love it? Can you know the world and still love it? Can you know the world that is filled with the Imago Dei and still love it? Can you look out and see how broken and how messed up things are and yet still love image bearers? Can you know the chaos of the world and still love it? Can you see the calamity going on that is caused by sin and still love it? Will you love the Imago Dei that you live with, both the big image bearers and the small image bearers who might not be potty trained yet? Will you love the image bearers when you're at odds with them or when you go angry to bed with your spouse? Can you still love them? Can you love people that are easy to love? Can you love people that are difficult to to love. Can you love image bearers who have differing political views, differing religious beliefs? Beliefs. When you open up the paper and you read something about Venezuela imploding, or at the beginning of June in Chicago, there were 52 shootings over the course of one weekend and 10 fatalities. Can you love image bearers? And when you hear rhetoric filled with white supremacy, will you stand against it? Will you guard against it? Will you help guard fellow image bearers who bear the brunt of this rhetoric because of the color of their skin? Will we guard against it? Can you know the world that is filled with the Imago Dei and still love it? So when your alarm goes off tomorrow and your feet hit the floor, or you go into work later today and tonight, know that the work that you are doing, even if it is not in your sweet spot, know that the work that you are doing is valuable to God. Know that God has placed you in this role for a time, for a season, maybe a longer season that you would like, but God has placed you here so that you may love image bearers to life. So if you, if you leave here with, with nothing else this morning, leave here knowing that the work that you do, even if it is not your dream job, the work that you do is valuable to God because you are loving image bearers to life. If you leave here with nothing else, then that is a win for me. My job is done, sort of. But if you leave here with nothing else, know that the work that you do of loving image bearers to life with whatever it is that you put your hand to is valuable to God. And now, as, as tempted as I am just to, to end things here, if, if we did that, we wouldn't even be thinking through and considering what the second half of this passage means for us. Because in our text, we see immediately, immediately after man is told in verse 15, Immediately after God says to him that you are my steward, go, work 
and keep the garden. Garden Immediately after the Lord says this to him, he says this in verse 17, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So we were made to work. Yes, of course, yes. It's part of what it means for us to be made in the image of God. But, but, we were made to work within the limitations given to us by God. And the limitation is this, that you, that I, that we are not God. That's the limitation that we see here, that we are not God. So God says, work, go, keep. I've entrusted things to you, but work knowing that you're not God. That's the limitation for us today. That's the limitation that applies to us today. Because what happens when we don't consider what that limitation means for us is that, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally, our heart is complex. When we don't keep that limitation, we exploit our work. We, we exploit it. We, we, we take our work and we, we misuse it. We, exploitation happens when we work without considering these limitations that are given to us by God. We exploit our work when we ask it to do something that it's not designed to do. We exploit it when we ask it to, to bear the weight of our significance. We exploit it when we do that. When we take our work and we ask it to, to, would you bear the weight of my significance? We exploit it. We misuse it. We, we take something that's not designed and built for that, and we try to use it in that way. And so, because we live on this side of the fall, we have a complicated relationship with work. We, we twist work's arm to get it to do what we need to do for us. And if you're here this morning, if you are here this morning and you have a complicated relationship with work, if you are here this morning and you are asking work to do things that it wasn't designed to do, if you're asking it to bear the weight of your significance, then I am... So glad you're here. I am. I'm, I'm so glad you're here if you find yourself in this spot currently. I'm so glad you're here because the reality of this is, is that because if the gospel, if the gospel is for exploiters like me who exploit their work, then it is for exploiters like you. If the gospel is for exploiters like me, then the gospel is also for exploiters like you. Because I ask my work to do things it's not meant to do. I ask my sermons to do things that they can't do. I want to be well-liked. I want to be great at what I do. From time to time, I struggle and have a confused outlook on what success looks like in the kingdom of God. That I struggle here. And yet... Being here on Sunday mornings, being here with all of the saints gathered under the preaching and reading of God's word and the sacraments, being here on Sunday morning is where I most need to be. 
It is where I most need to be, that I need the gospel, that I need the text of Scripture to reorient the way I view the world and the way that I view myself. I need the truth of Scripture to wash over me and for the Spirit of God to apply the gospel to all those parts of my soul where I just feel so insecure. That when my alarm goes off tomorrow, before I get out of bed and my hair looks like a bird's nest and I step on all of these Legos, I need to know that I wasn't yesterday's sermon. I need to know that the work that I do throughout my week, that it has limitations. I need to know that as I go about my work, diligently, faithfully, blowing it sometimes, that I am not the Christ that I am not the Christ, that I have limitations. And I was, as I was preparing, and I was even just asking myself this question, Heath, this is what preachers do when they're sitting at the desk by themselves, they start talking to themselves. Uh, I was asking myself the question, Heath, can you, can you know the world and still love it? Can you know the world and still love it? Can you love image bearers this week, Heath? And before, before I can answer that, I need, I need the gospel. Before you answer that, you need the gospel. Before God calls us to go do work, before he calls me to go do work, before he calls you to go do work, he calls us to be he calls us to be, that, that Jesus is the only thing that can bear the weight of our significance. Not my wife, not my kids, not my work. I need the gospel, period. And there's this, this quote by uh, Frederick Beekner that, that I've been chewing on this week as it applies to, to what I've been thinking through about, about my work and what this even just means for me as I live my life and as we try to figure this thing out. This is the quote that, uh, that Frederick Buechner says. He says, the gospel, the gospel strips us bare ultimately to clothe us. That the gospel, it strips us bare ultimately to clothe us. And as I was sitting there thinking about this, this, this quote from him, that it dawned on me that this is, this is what the scriptures do. This is why it is important that, that we are reading or regularly reading throughout the week that the scriptures, what they do is that they, they strip us bare. The scriptures, they strip us bare. They work as a mirror. They reflect the conditions of our hearts. And it, and it shows us, the scriptures show us that we, me, you, we go looking for love and affirmation in, in all of the wrong places. We ask our work, our relationships, our children to bear the weight of our significance in ways that those things aren't designed to do. We long for affirmation. We long to be fully known and fully loved. We, we long for people to actually, truly, really know us and not run away from us. And what the gospel does is that it comes and it strips us bare. It leaves us naked. It shows to us what is really there. But then it covers us. It clothes us. That when you trust in the name of Jesus, when you believe with your heart and confess with your lips that God raised him from the dead, you 
are clothed. You are clothed in royal garments. You are covered in the robe of your King Jesus. You are clothed as God's beloved son, as God's precious daughter. You are loved perfectly. Your Jesus, he knows you fully in all the crookedness of your hearts, in all the longings that are still unmet. He knows you fully right now sitting in the pew as you are. He knows you and he loves you. That you are no longer naked, that you no longer need to ask your work to bear the weight of your significance. All you need to do is to look at the robes that you already have on. That you are clothed. All the value, all the significance, all the longings of your heart, all the ways in which you look to your work to, to bear the weight of your significance, all of those things, those desires, those longings are met in Christ. That the gospel meets these needs. That Jesus, he clothes you, he covers you, he says that you are mine. I am with you always. I will never leave nor forsake you. That's what he says to us. So the only way, the only way for us here this morning or when we find ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place, the only way for us to move from being exploiters of our work to stewardship is through the gospel. It's the only thing that can actually truly bear the weight of our significance and not crumble from the bottom up. The gospel is the only thing. So as we sit here and as we ask ourselves the question, can you, can you know the world and love it? Can you love your fellow image bearers? The only way that we'll be courageous enough to stand up for something that will cost us, the only way for us to be courageous, courageous enough to do something like that, the only way for us to be energized enough for that type of work, the only way for us to be faithful enough for that type of work is for us to first be it's for us to first know that as we get out of the bed in the morning, before we go do whatever it is that we do throughout the week, for us to first know that the deepest desires and longings of our soul are met, they're fulfilled, they're abundantly provided for in Christ. Let's pray.